Good morning, everybody. It's great to have the kids in here with us. We don't get that treat very often. So great to have... Oh, a little of this happened in the front row. Good. Great to have you with us. Hey, um, we're going to be finishing up a series that we started three weeks ago called How to Get... Or How to Be Rich, Not How to Get Rich. Ah, uh, that would... I'm not even going to go there. How to Be Rich. But before we do that, I want to say a couple things. Uh, first thing I want to do is just say something about Thanksgiving, and then I also want to... Uh, uh, say something about the series that's coming up. First, uh, just a note about Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Thanksgiving was more than a speed bump uh, between Halloween and Christmas. And uh, it used to be a time where you just really pause and really say thanks instead of now that Halloween's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and, and now that uh, Christmas shopping season starts before your turkey is digested, right? Um, it used to be this time where you'd hit pause and, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't hit pause right now and say a very heartfelt thanks to you. Um, we were, we try to meet every Monday, uh, myself and Jennifer and Jill and, and Tim, we try to huddle up every Monday and, and talk about what's going on with the church and, and where we're headed. And, and this week, um, our conversation really turned towards some of the crazy stuff that is going on in a lot of churches and some of the really sad things that are happening excuse me, in a lot of churches. And we were just reminded once again of how thankful we are for you. Uh, we are so thankful that this is a church where it's not one or two people trying to carry the whole load, but that almost everybody here um, pitches in. We're so thankful for that. Uh, we're thankful, uh, those of us who are parents, we are so thankful for those of you who let kids be kids. You might just take that for granted, but, but that's sometimes uncommon to have a place, an environment, and a community that... that Let's kids be kids. Thank you for that. Um, thank you that, uh, that, that of all the places you could be trusting with God's um, finances, that this is a place that, that you've chosen to, um, to invest in and invest in general, uh, in, generously. Thank you uh, for making this a place where people can be as connected as they want to be. That I, I don't know of any exclusive groups here, exclusive groups that won't let you in if you're not... L- enough like them. So thank you for allowing this to be a place where people can be as connected as they want to be. Thank you for this. Um, from time to time, including today, we press into some very controversial topics and hard topics. And I want to thank you because when we do that, you guys thank us for that. Instead of saying, oh, why did you go there? You're going to alienate somebody or you're going to make somebody mad or whatever. Thank you for, for saying thank you when we, we go to those hard places. So, so thanks, and we could go on and on, but thank you for, for, um, for all you're doing to help this become the community that God wants it to be. Thanks for that. Now, quickly, a few words about our next series. Christmas is only four weeks away, which is crazy to me. Um, Christmas, is only f- Christmas is only four weeks away, and starting next week, we're going to start a brand new series. And what we're going to do, I'm, I'm really excited for this. What we're going to do is we're going to look at why Bethlehem, why 2,000 years ago? God could have picked any time. He could have picked any place. Why did he pick Bethlehem? Why did he pick 2,000 years ago? I think it's going to be exciting to press into that. And then why does it matter to us today? So I'm looking forward to that. All right, enough introductions. Uh, Today we have some unfinished business. Three weeks ago we started a series that is not called How to Get Rich because the Bible doesn't talk about how to get rich. It's called How to Be Rich. And that is something that the Bible does talk about. And one of the things that we talked about from, from week one is that, that sometimes when the Bible talks about how to be rich, those who are rich miss it because they think that the Bible is talking to somebody else because they don't feel rich. 
You, you may have noticed when you walked in, we have a couple checkpoints along the way. And each of these represents a different place kind of along the, the, the line um, of wealth. This one we're going to refer to quite a bit later on in the service. This one represents I have food and I have clothing. And someone even left me a donut hole right at the base of this. Probably one of those 9 o'clock yahoos um, left a little donut hole here, but nothing to wear. But I guess I figured I got clothes on. All right, which is really good. Um, so, so anyway, so this is food and clothing, this line, okay? In America, it's, this is very achievable to have food and clothing. In America, this is a very achievable line. Now, the next line we have here represents $40,000 a year. And the reason we picked that is because uh, if you are making roughly $40,000 a year, this is, this is a rich line. You've, you've arrived at wealth, at least by the world standards. Because if you're making around $40,000, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. So this is, a, this is a line, again, it's arbitrary, but you could make a case that this is a rich line right here. But what happens in America is most people, if they're at this place, at 40000 a year, they don't feel rich. So when they see the Bible talking about rich people, they say, well, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to those people. And when surveyed, people making around $40,000, when they were surveyed and said, how much do you think rich is? They, they said, well, it's more than forty. I think the most common answer was 74,000. So let's pretend that this one's 74,000. Well, what do you think happens if a person moves from 40,000 to 74,000? Do they feel rich now? Generally, they don't. If they didn't feel rich at 40, chances are they didn't feel rich now. But they think, I will feel rich if I get to the next level. And let's just pretend that's 250,000. They say, oh, if I could be making $250,000 a year, I would feel so rich. But let's say they get there. If you weren't feeling rich at 74000 I almost guarantee you wouldn't feel rich at 250000 But you think, I will feel rich if I... And you see how the rich line just keeps moving. And so one of the problems we have, especially in a society like ours, is that we, we don't see ourselves as rich regardless of where we're at. And so we miss some very, very important things about what the Bible says about how to be rich. Rich And the Bible has very important things to say about how to be rich. Now, one of the passages we've kept coming back to in this series is 1 Timothy chapter 6. So let's take a look there. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to send you home with one free today. We keep a stack of them right back there. Um, and you can feel free to, to grab a copy on your, on your way out, and, uh, and that's a gift to you. All right, here's a passage we looked at several times, a great one as we get into our closing week of this series. It says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 6. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But, here he, he's going to put a little line here. If we have, what? Food and clothing, with these we will be content. But with the, those who desire to be rich, I must continue to read here, uh, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So, now, he isn't setting a rich line here. This is a guy named Paul, a real first century believer. He's writing to another real person, a person named Timothy, a person who's mentoring the faith. He doesn't say the rich line is food and clothing, but what he's encouraging people to do is to say, be content with that. Be content with food and clothing. Don't just 
believe this lie that you're going to be content if you reach this next level because chances are you won't. Chances are you'll hit that level and the deceptiveness of wealth will get you to believe I'll be happy at the next level and content there. If you get to that next level, you continue to see that the line keeps moving. We see in this passage we just read that the Bible doesn't just speak to those who are rich, as we commented on before, but also those who desire to be rich. So this isn't just for those who are at these checkpoints. This is also for those who desire to be there. And to those who either are rich or desire to be rich, the Bible encourages us to be content and puts the line at food and clothing. Now, just so you know, this isn't an isolated passage. This isn't just the opinion of Paul. You know, believers in the Bible, we believe this inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words, then he should have inspired others to say the same. And well, let's just go right to Jesus. Jesus taught a very similar thing. He uses some different language, but when Jesus was asked, how do you pray? His disciples said, Jesus, how do you pray? Here's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. He said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Remember that phrase, we'll come back to that later. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day riches beyond our imagination. Give us this day so much money that we'll finally be content. Give us enough money to give us that Powerball right now. Not us, just me, because we'd have to spread it otherwise. No, is that what it says? No. Jesus says, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Give us enough to eat. Give us enough to eat and forgive us our debts so we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we see Jesus praying something similar or teaching us to pray something similar, to be content with our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. So Jesus didn't teach us to pray for lots and lots of riches. And and what's interesting to note, there's so much. It would be wonderful to someday uh, we'll have to teach on this Lord's Prayer. There's so much there. But one of the things I just want to highlight now is some of the context for this prayer comes as a contrast. You know, Jesus references people who are praying a certain way, and then he says, you pray like this. And and it just struck me as I was thinking about money, I was thinking how often so so many people in our culture pray for more and more and more and more. And might Jesus say to us, consider praying to be content with less and less. Just, just a thought. Well, we, we looked at a passage from 1 Timothy. We looked at a passage that, that comes from Jesus' own words. And here's another passage I want to bring us to. This one comes from what's called the Old Testament section of our Bibles. This predates Jesus' words by hundreds of years. And it comes from a book of wisdom, wise sayings, that we now call the book of Proverbs. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. So in, this, in the midst of all these wise sayings, here comes a prayer from a wise person. And the wise person prays this. Two things I ask of you, God. Deny them not to me before I die. And here's number one. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. But here's the second. Could you read this with me? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. it, It appears as though, whether it's Paul, whether it's Jesus, whether it's the author of, of, of this prayer, it appears as they all continue to, to point us towards this line. Not as saying this is a rich line, but as saying is, learn to be content here. Learn to be content with something to eat, something 
to wear. Now, you know, as I look at this prayer from Proverbs, it seems obvious to me that you would pray of the whole keep me from poverty thing. If you've ever seen uh, real extreme poverty firsthand, as in people starving to death poverty, as in people don't have clothes to wear poverty, as in a family is, is, is watching a child suffer horribly from a disease where a $10 shot could cure it, that kind of poverty. If you've ever seen that, you, you know why you would pray, deliver me from that. Don't let me go through that, God. Don't let our family go through that. Protect us from that, God. You can see why you'd pray that. It has a whole host of temptations associated with it. But what's interesting to see is, is he says, give me not riches. And what I hope you see is, as this unfolds here today, riches have a host of temptations along with them. And, and instead of us unquestionably saying, of course we want to pursue down this path. Of course that is something we should long for. Of course that is something we should want. Of course that's something we should pray for. The Bible seems to say, be careful. Be careful. The Bible doesn't say wealth is evil, but it says be careful. Be careful with riches. In fact, I encourage you, if, if you're a note taker, to take, take this... Um, Take out your green insert and write this down. This is going to seem so obvious, but sometimes the hardest teachings are the most obvious ones. You know, I, there's the part of me that wishes I could have gotten real clever or real profound so that, I don't know, it was more memorable or something or created more cognitive dissonance or something. But, but I think I'm, we're supposed to say it this plainly. And just because it's plain, don't let it just go by you. Here it is. Worldly wealth can be spiritually dangerous. Did you hear that? Worldly wealth can be spiritually dangerous. Again, is wealth inherently bad? No, but it can be spiritually dangerous. Poverty has its set of temptations. You To protect your family, to keep them from starving to death, you might be tempted to do something that doesn't honor God to, to save them. Riches also has its own set of temptations. And, and what I would say is when it comes to those temptations, people say money changes people. Maybe, but I think it's more common that money doesn't change people. It amplifies what's already there. I see a lot of people nodding. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. that. That I think money, for the most part, it doesn't change us. It amplifies what's already there. And so if you, and, and for the most part, people can be divided into two categories, a spender or a saver. And if you're a spender, it can amplify your desire to spend, spend, spend. If you're a saver, it can amplify your desire to save, save, save. And, and I hope as we go through this, you're going to see that both of those extremes, you can be tempted to spend too much, you can be tempted to save too much. Well, before we go there, let's, let's see if we can do a quick little test to see if you can find out which one you are. You might already have an idea. But uh, here is a highly scientific test. Oh, man, we... No, just kidding on that. All right, but, but maybe this will help you. All right, so let's do this and try to, try to think which one of these you are, all right? So the question is, if a super cool non-essential, what that means, kids, is something you really want but don't need, okay? So a super cool non-essential that normally costs $50 is on sale for $25. Which are you more inclined to do? A, buy it because you're saving $25, or B, think it over, because you're spending $25. How many of you would say A? All right. Okay, good. 
You, if you said A, you're, you're, you're probably leaning what? Spender or saver? Spender. All right. How many say B? All right. If you say B, you're, you probably lean towards saving. All right. Let's do another one. Try to remember how, what your score was here. Which one you had more of. All right. If someone gives you a $25 gift card, which of these describes you best? A, you rush to the store right away and then you spend more than the gift card was for. How many would say that's you? All right. You're probably a spender. All right. How about B? You rush to the store, but it's a year later because you looked at the card and go, oh, it's going to expire. <laughs> and I better get to the store. Otherwise, I'm going to lose the money. How many of you are that? Okay. All right. Could be procrastinated too, but uh, B, is, B is more on the saving sides of things. All right. One more. One more. When it comes to savings, which of the following best describes you? A, if the check isn't bouncing, life is good. How many are in that category? All right. Now, how about B, your financial cards, accounts, they are bookmarked on your computer. You've set up automatic transfers, various savings accounts. You don't touch those savings accounts unless it's an emergency. How many lean more that direction? All right. All right. Probably a little more saver. Okay. So how many people do we have are two thirds, two, you said spending answers at least twice. All right, how many spenders? All right, how many? At least two savers. Okay, how about any three all spenders? All three spenders? All right, how about all three savers? Okay, well, generally we lean one way or the other. And here comes another statement that is going to sound absolutely simplistic, but this is dangerous. Spenders are going to be tempted to spend more than they should. Again, not profound, but incredibly important. Spenders, if they have riches, are going to be tempted to spend more than they should. Why do I say this is important? Because we're about to use the G word, greed. American churches, we don't like to talk about this word. Greed. Here's something it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, I, and you'll see some brackets here. I, I, this is the G-rated, G-rated version. We have kids with us, so I uh, tried to bracket some stuff here to protect the young ears. All right. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither those who act in physically inappropriate ways, nor idolaters, nor two additional categories of physically inappropriate behavior, nor thieves. <laughs> you can thank me later, parents. Nor, except for those readers who are opening their Bibles. Right? No, uh, okay, anyway, nor the what? Nor the greedy. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit. Look at this. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. The greedy won't inherit the kingdom of God. If you want to inherit the kingdom of God, unrepentant greed, meaning a greed that you're not sorry for, greed that you're not asking God to set you free from, greed that you don't, you're not willing to even go there and say this is, could possibly be greed, greed that is left completely unexamined, on purpose, that kind of greed will keep some people out of the kingdom of God. Well, if that's the case, then where's the greed line, right? Where is the greed line? Because we don't want to step over the greed line. If greedy can keep us from the kingdom of God, show us where the greed line is so we don't cross the greed line. Well, the problem is, does the Bible say exactly where the greed line is? No. In fact, there's a chance that the greed line might be different for different people even. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of explicit instruction on where the greed line is. So if this is true of riches, that we can cross the rich line and not even know we're past it, could it be true that we cross the greed line if we're a spender and we don't know we've passed it? It's very possible. 
you see why wealth is dangerous. Because the Bible's pretty clear. Hey, you got food and clothing. That's not greedy. You got food and clothing. You're, you're, you're good. Now you venture beyond that. How far do we go? Is there a, a standard of living that no Christian should pass? Or, or should we be able to just keep going? Is there a, a, a price point on a car that we shouldn't pass? Is there a price point on a TV that we should not pass? Should we even have those things? The Bible isn't explicit on that. And do you see why having more becomes dangerous? It becomes dangerous because now you're going to want these things. You're gonna, if you're a spender, you're going to want to spend money on these things. So you have this desire. You're going to justify it. But when did you cross the line into greed? The more you have, the harder it is to, to, to know when you've crossed that line. When you've cro- excuse me, when you cross the line, as Proverbs said, where you, you're now saying, who is the Lord that he should tell me how to spend this? Who is the Lord that, that I can't have this thing? This is my money. I've earned it. it. When do we cross that line into this is a blessing from God to now I'm being greedy? Do you see why it's dangerous if you're a spender? Now, I think most people know that. Most people under, associate you know, that to say, hey, you can, you can spend too much on yourself. But I would also argue savers can save too much. So I encourage you to write this down. Savers, as wealth comes their way, will be tempted to save more than they should. Savers are going to be tempted to save more than they should. And, and I've never heard a sermon on this, so I, I don't have a lot of reference points here other than to, to point you to a scripture that we circle back to from time to time, this is one that every American, every American, should really wrestle with. For me, it's highly disturbing. You know, even though, you know, <laughs> the saver in me says, what, you can save too much? Are you kidding me? Apparently you can. Or at least you can be distracted in your saving or lost in your saving. Here it is, the passage. This is out of Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll build a retirement plan here. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build larger ones. And there I can store all my grain and all my goods. And I can say to my soul, hey, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. He didn't say, ooh, nice financial planning. He said, fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And these things you prepared, whose will they be? Here, now, here's the punchline. And here's that, that, this sentence that, well, when do, you, when do you cross into this? So it is with the one who lays up treasures for themselves, but is not what? Say it out loud. But is not rich towards God. Well, when are you doing that? Where's the line? Where's the line where you're no longer rich towards God? Now, does the Bible talk about saving Yes. Does the Bible encourage us to save? Yes. In fact, the same book, Proverbs, that we looked at earlier, says, says that, that a, I forget the exact language, but a good or a righteous person, they will, they will leave an inheritance, not just for their children, but does anybody know for their children's children. So is saving good? Is saving God-honoring? God yes. But can you cross the line where you're no longer being rich towards God? Apparently so. If you continue down the path and you have more and more riches, it, it gets tough. How much saving is too much? When are you now depending on wealth instead of on God? When would these assets be better invested in kingdom stuff? 
Those are not easy questions, but now they're questions that have to be answered the further you get along the path if you're a saver. So, so again, I, I don't think any of these statements, in fact, I know none of these statements are profound, but my hope is you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit and perhaps the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you today and say, you're, you're not treating wealth as something that can be dangerous. And, and, and you might just be pursuing wealth, whether it's excessive spending, excessive uh, saving. You might just be pursuing something with a cavalier attitude rather than, a, okay, God, help me navigate this in a way that honors you. Again, lest you think this is, I'm making a bigger deal out of it than it is, look at the big deal that Jesus makes out of wealth. This is out of, actually, this is found in three places. We have a passage, it's in your notes, and I also put it on the screen. You can look this up yourself, look up the context. I always try to do that. I never want to take things out of context. I never want to mislead you as to what the Bible is really saying. Look it up. Three places, three separate sources, all confirming that Jesus said these words. It is easier for a camel, which was the largest animal they could, you know, most people could think of at that place at that time. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, biggest animal, smallest whole. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a who? Than a rich person to enter the there it is again kingdom of God. And this one makes sense to me. Some of this stuff doesn't make sense to me. This one makes sense to me. It is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because to enter the kingdom of God, you are now entering a place where who is king? God. Not you. God. So to enter from, let's say this is your kingdom, where you are functioning as God, I make the decisions, I decide what goes where, I decide when I listen to God, when I don't, to here, that's a scary step. It's a scary step for everyone because there's going to be something that you're going to want to bring with you. There's going to be something here you want to control. Whether it's pride, whether it's relationships, whatever, there's going to be something you want to control. For, for now, let's just focus on money. For a rich person to take this step, that's hard. Why? Because then they have to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with everything. <laughs> Back when everything I owned could fit in my yellow, yes, yellow Chevette, <laughs> it was easy to say to God, it's all yours, God. <laughs> to you be the glory. You can have my futon and you can have this yellow Chevette. Now we got a neat little house, you know, we got a yard, we got, got a fence. Now, now if, if God were to say, okay, are you willing to put that on the table? Harder, right? The more you have, the harder it is to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Because God could say, all right, sell it all. Follow me to wherever he asks you to follow. He might not, but by saying, I want to enter the kingdom of God, now you're saying, God, everything's yours. And for those of you who are just starting out in life, you know, the potential earnings, right? But I could make this much, and God might be calling you to, to do something very different. Are you willing to say, God, it's all yours? Do you see why it's hard for a rich person? You know, and Jesus just, he, he, he says it so black and white. Can we put up the passage? This is what Jesus said. Here, you want to enter the kingdom of God? You want to be my disciple? Luke 14, 33. Those of you who do not give up everything can't be my disciple. 
Now, is that, again, is that saying that God is going to say, liquidate everything before you step forward? No, it's not. Is it saying after you step forward, he's going to tell you, liquidate everything? No, not necessarily. But it's saying, now, God, you are the king. I'm not the king. And that's a scary thing. So it makes sense why it's hard for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, because it seems like they have so much to lose. But what has a rich person really given up? That's the question. Let that sink deep down. As you struggle with this and you, and you want to hang on to these things, as you want to hang on to these things, ask yourself that question, what would I really be giving up? You're giving up, first of all, things that aren't yours to begin with. Any wealth you've earned or accumulated is a gift from God. He gave you the ability. He put you in the situation. Anything you've earned is really his. You're ultimately just giving back to him what he already gave you. Things that you're giving up, they're things that can be lost. They're things that can be stolen. They're things that can be decreased in value. So you want to hang on to something that, that, that all those things can happen to. You're, you're, you're letting go of things that won't really satisfy. And we know this, don't we? We, 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 we know it, but we don't live in it. The, the next new thing will only feel new for so long, right? And to let go of that and to be able to say, God, you know, set me free of that. That's, that's what you're giving up. You're giving up things that provide a false sense of security. How long did they tell us? Oh, put your money in the, the you know, 401, money market, it's safe. <laughs> Housing, put your money in real estate. Is it true the rich, man, rich, rich dad, poor dad guy is bankrupt? Is that did that happen? The guy invested in real estate. <laughs> you know, things that provide a false security. And then ultimately, what are you giving up? You're giving up things that you can't take with you into eternity. That's what you're giving up. That's what's so hard that you're, you're giving up. We need that perspective. And in exchange for giving up that, by saying, God, I'm going to trust you with everything, here's what you're given. You're, you're given entrance into the kingdom of God, where God is now king. Where, where, where you're allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and change your heart and change your mind. And you're not resistant to that. You're, you're, you're now, as you enter into the kingdom of God, you're adopted as God's son, as his daughter. And so now, as you step in as a son or a daughter, you're not under law, you're under grace. So you're not like, okay, I have to get everything right you know, in religion, religion says, I have to get everything right. I have to not ever cross a greed line, not ever cross a save line. I have to get it all right because then otherwise I'll have something counting against me. When you're a son or a daughter, you're going to mess up. But now you're a son or a daughter. And God says, I want to help. And when you mess up and when you take a wrong turn and when you step too far over some line, it's like, okay, you're, you're open. You're listening to the Spirit of God, letting you con convict, you know, and, and that whole thing. It's a totally different deal. You're now under, you're under grace. Your sins are forgiven. Your mistakes aren't counting against you. And God can lead and guide you and, and, and be, help you become more like him. So you're, so you're gaining that, gaiding adoption of God's son or daughter. You're, guiding, you're gaining God's guidance. You're gaining his direction. You're gaining his peace. You're gaining his joy. And you're gaining real riches in the life to come. And one of the reasons I get so passionate about this is because I'm talking to myself here. We need to remind each other of these things, right? Because we have our whole culture telling us and trying to get us to believe otherwise that the little g-god of stuff is some kind of god that can help us or deliver us or make our lives better when instead there's a capital g-god. 
And he is mighty to save, and he's good. And he'll never ask you to give up something that isn't better that you give it up. That's the exchange. Here's an awesome quote. We could use this every week, but we don't pull it out too often because it's just so good. This is by a guy named Jim Elliott who ultimately gave up his whole life, literally laid down his life. And he writes this. He writes, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. It's an illusion. The little g-god stuff, it's an illusion. And if you're willing to give up the illusion that I can control this or it's really mine or whatever, this is a better place to be. Because now you're in reality. Now, before we wrap up today, um, kids, you have been so attentive. Um, We're going to need your help in a little bit, okay? So stay right where you are, but we're going to need your help. You're going to have to cheer, okay? You're going to have to cheer for one team or the other. What's going to happen is, Tim, why don't you come on up, put the, we're going to, we're going to do a little, little soccer uh, game here. Little soccer game. And here's what's on the line. Here's what's on the line. There's a bunch of toys in this bin. And there's a bunch of toys in this bin. And adults, teens, what we're, we're trying to demonstrate here is not only is it better for us to step into the kingdom of God, it's a lot more fun. Because now instead of just playing for yourself, just playing for yourself, you're playing for others. Because now God can use you to bless other people. Instead of just accumulating, 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 God wants to use your talents and your gifts and your abilities to bless others. So here's what we're going to do, kids. I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to be the selfish guy because it comes real natural for me to be that guy. All right? So I'm going to be the selfish guy. Thanks. You found the good. You found the ball. That could have been. And imagine we have a soccer ball. All right. And so, so anyway, so there we we could use that. That's true. So I'm going to be the bad guy. And so I'm selfish. And if I win, if I score, I'm keeping all the toys. I'm keeping all the toys if I win. So if I get the ball in this net, who gets all the toys? Me. But Tim, he's going to play on God's team. And when Tim, by playing on God's team, he's not going to be selfish. If Tim gets the soccer ball in that net, kids, if if Tim gets the soccer ball in that net, then kids, you can all go to the back of the room and Tim is going to share a toy with you. You can pick any toy, any one toy out of of those bins because Tim is not just playing for himself. He's playing for God and God wants us to bless other people, okay? So if you want to cheer for Tim, you can cheer for Tim. I'm just going to cheer for myself because I want all the toys. All right? So here we go. If you guys want to cheer your kid, I'm coming. I'm coming. Uh, oh, he stole the ball. He scores. All right. You guys, kids, you can head to the back. Kids, you can head to the back. You guys all get a toy because Tim was playing for God's team. Tim was playing for God's team. And God's team says share. All right. Well, as the kids go back there, as the kids go back there, teens, grown-ups, let me talk to you. Um, let me pass along some, a question that someone passed along to a pastor named Bill Hybels. He passed it along to 100,000 other people. And that is this question. What are you doing with your one and only life? Isn't that a big question? What are you doing with your one and only life? What team are you playing for? Are you playing for the kingdom of self team where it's about accumulating a lot so you can either save it or spend it or both? Is that where you're putting your passion? Is that where you're putting your time? Is that that what you're allowing to make your heart beat fast? Or are you saying, 
I'm playing for a different team. God, I'm playing for you. The talents that I have, they all come from you. The abilities I have, they all come from you. The circumstance I have, it comes from you. It is all yours. And are you giving permission then for the Holy Spirit to come in, ask hard questions, ask life-giving questions, and then being willing to have enough courage to say, wherever this takes me, God, I'll lead. Or allow you to lead me there. Which one? Well, let's pray that, that the Holy Spirit would enable us to give us the courage, the courage to be able to say, right here, right now, I'm going to step into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to cast out all that is not of you. All fear, all misinformation, anything that would keep us from hearing truth here now. Father, it is scary. I'll speak on behalf of all these folks, at least all the honest ones, and say it is scary to step into your kingdom because we don't know what you're going to say. So God, we pray that your spirit would give us a, enough of a complete picture of you where we know you can be trusted. Bring our gaze back to the cross where you made the ultimate sacrifice to say, I love you. There is nothing I would, would not spare for you. God, God, would you give us that glimpse so that we know you can be trusted. As we take this step now, we say it's all yours. Everything, everything is yours. If God brings a very specific thing to your mind, Say, this is yours. It might be something that's, that you think is irreplaceable. Would you say to God, it's yours. Lord, thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you have our, you have our best in mind when you ask us things. Help us to believe that and trust that as we, we step forward. Lord, things that, that, that should be given up to you, which is everything. Lord, may we do that now, right now. And for those who have said that before, but have just kind of drifted back, Lord, may we come to you again fresh and new this day and say, everything is yours. Everything is yours. Um, some of you might want to continue to have a, a prayer with, with, a, with a specific people. And do we have some people, Joel, that can be in the back? So there'll be some people that'll be in back corner. If you want to pray about this or anything during these songs, after the songs, there'll be people back there that would love to pray with you. Uh, but let's continue now to, to worship. So, Father, we pray now that you would take this time, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to come to you now wholly and offer ourselves fully in Jesus' name.